Dudley here and welcome back to the Leveling Up in Lactation podcast. I am your host. Um, I am a private practice IBCLC up in Northern Indiana, the owner of Enrich Lactation. Um, Welcome back to the podcast where I highlight, amplify, and document the journeys of my colleagues that are Black lactation professionals. And this episode is for those of you if you feel stuck if you feel numb in this profession, if you feel like you're just going through the motions and you're looking for that spark or some type of motivation, this is the episode for you. Without further ado, today's colleague is Leslie Owens. Leslie Owens is a perinatal registered nurse and international board certified lactation consultant based in Douglasville, Georgia, just outside of Atlanta. She has supported pregnant and postpartum families for over 15 years in the perinatal space. Her passion for birth and lactation began with her own personal experience birthing and breastfeeding her oldest child, who is now a teenager, and it was reignited with breastfeeding her twins who are currently nursing their way through toddlerhood. Leslie currently owns and operates Mother Nurture Maternity, a private practice where she is committed to providing quality and equitable virtual and in-person lactation services and resources to the community, especially those purposively marginalized. She considers it a great honor and privilege to support families during the perinatal period as an advocate, facilitator, and clinician. Leslie, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Leveling Up in Lactation podcast. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I'm excited to be here. My pleasure. I'm very excited that our schedules align for us to do the interview. Yes. Um, So with all of my guests, I always like to kind of take it back. So share with us some pre-lactation or even pre-healthcare, Leslie, and what that looked like. Oh, gosh. I'm going to age myself here. (laughs) But um, back in, I would say... 2005 well I can even go beyond that before that my dad my late father always said that he thought I should be a nurse but I I didn't really go along with that I didn't really agree at the time so I I did all these different majors circle all the way back around to nursing like circa 2005 and I ended up going to LPN school and when I was in LPN school and we went to clinicals I just didn't like it I didn't I didn't think I even wanted to be a nurse I didn't like anything that we did finally we went to like labor and delivery and that was when like the heavens opened and I was like oh my gosh this is this is me this is what I want to do but you can't work in labor delivery as an LPN so um finished LPN school but I knew that I wanted to eventually work in OB and finally went on to become an RN but it was hard for me to get into that specialty it's hard to get into a specialty as an RN like as a new RN and back then especially so it was it's just hard to get to a specialty. So I ended up working like med surge for a couple of years. And finally, I ended up going to get a job in labor and delivery and postpartum. And it was great. But by that time, I had had my son. So he was born in 2009. So when my oldest son was born, I just fell in love with breastfeeding. Um, I didn't get very much support. I knew I wanted to do it, but I just was getting a lot of pushback from my family and a lot of pushback from my healthcare providers and not, but it just made me more determined because I'm a very like stubborn and determined person. And I knew I was doing it for the right reasons. And I knew that I was, everything was going well. And I kind of just had to like prove them wrong. <clears throat> so 
basically I ended up breastfeeding him for two years. It kind of like I if someone tells me don't do something or tries to talk me out of doing something that I want to do, it just makes me more determined to do it. So at that point I had to do it and I did it for two years. And then I even went on to, I guess as a final, like I told you so, <laughs> I ended up becoming a lactation consultant. But even before I became a lactation consultant, I became a lactation specialist while I was working on labor and delivery and postpartum. I got them to send me to a lactation specialist course that was like a week long. And um, I learned a lot there. And I brought that back and started implementing that in my job. And then I just started, I followed the pathway and uh, took the exam. And and here I am. <laughs> yeah. And so I see myself in a lot of your stories. So the first thing that comes to mind is when someone says that I can't, or if there's some type of barrier in my way, I'm going to do everything in my power to uh, prove them wrong, <laughs> whether that's family, whether that's systems, um, different things like that. And I mean, you put a stamp on it with breastfeeding your son for two years, like you mentioned, going even further. And um, it sounds like you had your employer pay for you to become a CLS. Is that correct? Yes. And that's very unheard of in nursing. Yeah. Uh, we had like an interim manager and there was just randomly some education funds. And I have been just bugging them and bugging them about it that I wanted to do it. And they ended up sending me and one other girl to uh, Chicago to take that 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 class, which was really cool. So I got a trip out of it and I got to take that yeah. really cool class and brought that back home and started implementing what I learned. Yeah. And so when you were working, finally got through med surge and um, being an LPN and eventually becoming an, an RN on labor and delivery floor, was it something where you got any type of training on how to support breastfeeding parents and different things like that at all? I'm curious. No, not really. So uh, everyone knew that I liked it and I enjoyed it. So everyone would always just get me to help their mom's latch if they had trouble they'd be like Leslie can you go latch this baby and so I would do it and you know I just for some reason I became known as the nurse who would who liked natural deliveries <laughs> they would give me the ones that didn't want an epidural and the and Leslie's the one who will help a mom latch her baby so th that's just how I caught a lot of my experience I'm kind of self-taught and um yeah I didn't really have very much of a mentor I really taught myself it's funny because when you're breastfeeding yourself is so different than helping someone else breastfeed absolutely I didn't really struggle with like the hands-on part of it because I mean hello you check a person's cervix that's pretty intimate I mean that's pretty you know very <laughs> invasive so touching a breast isn't really a big deal but it's still just different to demonstrate how to do something than it is to do it yourself okay. so yeah I just I mean I just repetitively helped a lot and I did have like our director of lactation she sort of mentored me a little bit when I when I end up transitioning to a lactation specific position I did train with her but most of what I learned was pretty much through trial and error and a lot of reading and a lot of um, just learning on my own yeah and so that kind of pulls us in as far as how you transition into the field of lactation with your own personal experience and then kind of seizing the opportunity of getting funding to go to this trip up to Chicago um, which I hope people are listening into that, that if you have an employer that there's possibly some funding available, lean into that. Um, I think it's more common with like WIC and different things like that, which I was a part of, and there's funding specifically um, for training for that. But even if you're not in that type of clinic space, 
reaching out and asking, is there any funding available? I'm interested in the lactation field. And maybe there is. So when we're thinking about barriers, usually funding is one of the big ones. Um, so share with me, when did you fall in love with lactation? Was that with your own personal experience as you learned more? Was that through the CLS training? Was that in practice um, in the hospital setting? Oh, it was really my own experience. I became very passionate about it because I got so much pushback. And I thought, well, because I have some medical um, knowledge and background and experience and and everything, and because I'm so stubborn and determined, that's the only reason I was really able to be successful because most moms and most birthing people, they're going to take the path of least resistance. So if they're getting pushed back, they're just most of the time going to give in. So I was just thinking about how many moms are robbed of that experience and yeah. because they just give in and just give up because they're not getting the support they need. And I just wanted to be able to give the support that I wish that I would have had and that other people probably need in order to succeed. So that was kind of what, what fueled me to, to go ahead and pursue getting involved in lactation. And I think you brought up such a, an important point. I think sometimes when people think about us as lactation consultants or professionals, they have this image of us trying to um, convince or pressure people into breastfeeding their children. When it sounds like similar with me as with yourself is that it was just not knowing or realizing that it was an option. And then the simple acknowledgement that this is something that I could do was all the catalysts I needed to kind of go full speed ahead towards it. Um, so when we're talking about exposure um, to breastfeeding being an option of feeding your child, that's really what we're here for. And for the parents that are either indifferent about it and are looking for more information or those that acknowledge that, yes, this is how I want to or feed my child. And then we provide that proper support um, versus maybe kind of like what you see in movies and TV shows of the pushy lactation consultant shoving a baby's head into the breast, which is just such a cringe. Yeah, <laughs> I hate that. Yeah. 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 And that's so why I like, that's why I like private practice is because in the hospital, I feel like there is, it's, you have very little impact on the decision. The decision's really already been made by the time they come to have their baby. So either they are not sure about it. I mean, either they really want to, they're indifferent, or they really don't want to. And you, it's very difficult to impact that decision at that point. But once you're in the outpatient setting, when someone reaches out and they find you or they find me, they really want help. They're really trying to do this. They're really committed, you know? Absolutely. And I, I'm glad that you pointed that out, that if people are trying to figure out kind of what setting they want to work in or kind of if they are a parent and they're kind of trying to figure out why didn't I get this type of support um, that my postpartum LC gave me in the hospital, there's a lot of factors there, right? We know there's finite kind of time and there's also kind of restrictions depending upon the location that you're in, but also realizing that um, you have specific kind of purposes in that moment to be able to kind of help and to kind of get a person to have that handoff to that private practice lactation consultant, right? So if we kind of, you know, don't kind of um, plant seeds of doubt <laughs> for the, the time frame that they're in the hospital, we can get them over into an, an outpatient lactation consultant, then we're able to kind of continue that um, length of time that people are able to provide their milk for. Yeah, I just feel like prenatally, like prenatal breastfeeding education is so important. And that's where 
I'm really into prenatal breastfeeding education because I feel like that's where you can impact their decision. So it happens way before they ever get to the hospital. And if they get that education, when they get to the hospital, they kind of have a foundation of knowledge and they, they know those normals. They know what to expect. They have realistic expectations. Yes. So they're much more likely to, um, to continue with breastfeeding and not just get discouraged immediately and throw in the towel. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you mentioned kind of um, steamrolling ahead. It sounds like after you had your son, you breastfed, you got the course, and then you kind of became an IBCLC, but fill us in a little bit more as far as what pathway you ended up taking, I have a suspicion. And then as far as like the timeline, it kind of took you to go from say a CLS to an IBCLC. Okay, so that was probably around 2012. Um, it took me a couple years. Yeah, it was 2012 when I took the CLS course and it was 2014 when I became an IBCLC. So, you know, I was a pathway one and that allowed me to go back five years and count, you know, everything that I've been doing all, all along. So I was able to to get those hours by the time I applied for the exam to take it in 2014, just because I worked hands on and on like a LDRP unit, that's labor, delivery, recovery and postpartum. We did couplet care, which is, you know, just the moms and babies. And I did a lot of couplet care. So a lot of hands-on and you're going to get more hands-on experience with breastfeeding in uh, postpartum than you're going to get in labor delivery because in labor delivery, you're focused on the birth and just transition them, you know, to postpartum recovering them. I mean, you might help latch for a few minutes, but you're not spending a lot of time, but in postpartum, I was able to spend, you know, a lot of times I'll spend hours. If someone really wants, they want the help and mm -hmm. I, and I'm, have the time to help them and I will spend hours with them if I have to you know yeah and that's something I don't think I kind of realized that with the position of a label of excuse me a labor and delivery unit nurse you have minutes it sounds like or moments that you're able to spend with that initial latch etc and then you kind of do that handoff into the postpartum unit and it sounds like that specific unit is able to spend more time by comparison Yes. And so an LDRP unit, it's all combined, but the hospital where I work PRN now is two separate units. But yeah. when I worked on an LDRP unit, if I was the labor nurse and then you would labor that patient, you would recover that patient, which is just for one hour. And then you pass them off to the next nurse because maybe you have another labor mm -hmm. or you might, if, or you might keep that patient as a couplet and then you would continue on and you would help them more if they, if they need it. Got it. Thank you for breaking that down for me. Um, so in hindsight, is there a different pathway that you would go back and choose if you had the opportunity, funding, et cetera? No, um, I, I, I'm happy with the pathway that I took. I think that it's really, no matter what pathway you do, you get as much out of it as you put into it. And I don't think a pathway determines what type of um, IBCLC you are. I know there's some controversy in like, you know, the different pathways and stuff, but it really just depends on what you put into it. And that's what you get out of it. So I think because in Pathway 1, you have to get 1,000 hours. That's a lot of hours. So it's good to have a, a mentor, at least someone, even if it's not an official mentor, at least someone you can bounce questions off of that you can get feedback from and things like that. And um, it's just been over the years, really the last few years, actually when I went into private practice, when I just opened up to this whole new world of um, colleagues and and that's been pretty cool because when I lived in Tennessee, I live in Georgia now, but when I lived in Tennessee, that's where I was born and raised, it was, there wasn't 
very much of a lactation presence. There was only a few lactation consultants. There, it's it's kind of um, I had to deal with a lot of like hospital politics and like microaggressions, and I didn't really feel supported or feel like I was in an environment where I could grow and thrive. But once I moved to Georgia, I was in an environment where I was actually like wow, like it just opened up a whole new world. And then when I went to private practice, wow, that opened up a whole nother world. And I feel like since I went into private practice, I've grown and stretched so much because I look up everything and it's just kind of like reignited my desire to learn because I've been doing this since 2014. Yeah. But but actually it was 2021, the fall of 2021 when I went into private practice. And now I'm just like on fire. It's like, I want to learn everything. I want to learn, learn and know and grow. And I want to take all the trainings and and it's just really cool because it's almost like being brand new again. Not brand new as far as experience, but brand new. And like you have that fire and desire that you want to just learn and do as much, get as much information as you can and knowledge. Yeah. And I think that's a great point. So if people are listening and maybe we're feeling a little flat, <laughs> right? And we're kind of lacking that energy and that kind of um, the reason why we got into the field, that spark, right? To begin with, maybe it takes shifting in the environment that you're providing your services. Maybe it takes a shift in location as far as states, et cetera. Um, but there are ways to kind of reignite it. And it's absolutely okay that if you kind of get into a lull, maybe that's your body cueing you to rest because this work is very heavy lifting um, for the heart and emotionally, et cetera. But you can reignite that. And hopefully that's what people are kind of getting throughout this podcast just in general is getting that, um, what is the word I want to use? Um, it's contagious, kind of the energy, right? When you're having like newer people start, you're able to kind of see that um, fire in their eyes and they're wanting to kind of um, learn all the things. That's what I get from having new people join the field. And then for people like you that have been here um, for a moment and you've recertified, seeing how are they able to kind of sustain? <laughs> yeah. Continuing, yeah. And so with that in mind, you have recertified once. Is that right? Yes. And I'm up, I'm up in 2024 to do it again. Got it. So I want to kind of plug a new question here. So for those who um, are recertifying soon, like for the first time, is there any type of recommendation, encouragement, insight that you would share with them? It's funny because I kind of fell into the category of, of um, one of the lucky ones that didn't have to retake the exam in 10 years. Yeah. And I work with people who actually had to retake the exam, but now they've changed it to where you can just recertify by SERPs only. But there's some sort of test that you have to take. Um, like, I guess you have to you have to figure out what your strengths and weaknesses are, and they'll tell you what type of SERPs you should try to you should get so many in certain areas to I guess strengthen your skills and, and knowledge, kind of fill the gaps in knowledge. So I haven't done that yet, but I know other people that have and. Um, it seems pretty straightforward. Gotcha. Okay. And so you mentioned that you're from Tennessee, mm-hmm. moved to Georgia. So if you had to guess, how many Black IBCLCs would you estimate are currently in the state of Georgia? Oh, in Georgia, uh, I would say quite a few because, you know, surrounding Atlanta, or maybe not, but I would say, I don't know, quite a lot, maybe a handful, maybe of actually IBCLCs. I know of a, a handful here. That um that I'm like I haven't really met them in person, but we've we've kind of talked online and stuff. 
So um, I know of a handful, but I'm not sure how many there are actually. Now in Upper East Tennessee, where I was from, I know that at the time, especially when I got certified, I don't think there were any. I don't know if there were any even in the whole state when I got certified, but definitely not in my area of Tennessee. Gotcha. Yeah. And I, I always like to just kind of gauge that because I speak with people from different areas of the country to kind of get a sense. Um, there's some pockets where, um, you know, there's double digit number of black IBCLCs, but then by comparison to the number of total IBCLCs in the state, it's still very marginal, right? We're talking yeah, about I agree. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so what would you say is the biggest challenge or hurdle that you experience with progressing to become an IBCLC? So before I went, I think before I got into OB nursing, I, I knew that I wanted, I was, it was funny, I was in a transition because I, I knew I wanted to work in perinatal nursing, but I still wasn't quite there yet. And so, but I did know that I wanted to be an IBCLC back then. So I was actually looking into becoming like a La Leche League leader or something like that or trying to go to WIC. I was just looking at all my options. And around that time, I, and my son was small. He was a toddler. He was like two or three years old. And so looking at all those options, you know, when you have a young child and when you have a job and it's just hard to find, like, when will you fit that in? So luck, I was just lucky. I feel like I was lucky that I ended up getting the job that I did because I was able to get that experience on the job and not have to try to find time to, to do that on the side of working full time and taking care of young child and, and everything like that. So that made it a little bit easier, but I guess what made it harder was I kind of was on my own as far as learning. And it was up to me to figure out, to figure it all out and figure out my, my journey and my path. And um, yeah, so that, that took some time. And I think that I just, everything kind of happens the way that's supposed to happen. So I kind of stair-stepped into a, a job that was like half lactation, half, um, working on the floor as a nurse. And then when I moved to Georgia, I ended up working like the last few years, I've been doing strictly lactation. So I guess the journey, the the hardest part was, was just, I guess, figuring out the pathway um, and everything. And I guess maybe studying for the exam, which was kind of similar to studying for the NCLEX. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I think it, I was just blessed that things just kind of worked out. Maybe they just worked out because it's just what I was supposed to do. You know, maybe one thing led to the next, led to the next, and then led to the next. And then where I am now, it's like, wow, you know, this is like where I I ultimately wanted to be. And, and it could only get better from here, you know? Yeah. And I, I love, I just want to pull out some words that you mentioned. You said stair-stepped. And sometimes we try to fast track (laughs) and do an elevator up to our kind of final position that we kind of envision but there there is value in doing the slow and steady um, pace to be able to get there because you're probably going to be getting some um, knowledge and experience that's going to benefit you once you get to that level that you've been seeking out and it sounds like you're really stepping into that over this last year I've just been watching you and I feel like everything is blooming and coming to fruition um, that you've been speaking about. Thank you. Yes, I feel the same way. And it's just, uh, it's really exciting. And and just, I feel inspired and encouraged. And I just want to be able to, I want to be able to help someone else and give someone else an arm up to that, to get to that point. And also just to know that it is a journey, no matter what your background is, that it's a journey to get there. <laughs> it takes time. Yeah. 
And I think a lot of us are kind of like avoidant of the time. It's like, well, how long? And my, my son always says this, well, how many minutes? <laughs> yep, how many minutes? Let's <laughs> <laughs> so quantify it and say that, okay, let me set this timer so I have something to kind of count down and look forward to. But it's trying to just kind of settle in to that journey and just taking it step by step and kind of having those um, little wins that we're celebrating instead of waiting until we get to the peak um, to be able to kind of feel like um, we're here or that we arrived, right? So I think that's great. Yeah, you were talking about the journey. I guess also the challenge for me mostly probably has been starting private practice, right? Because there's so much that goes into it and it does take time. And you do think, for some reason, you think you're going to, you know, get your cute logo and you're mm-hmm. gonna put your website up and then everything's just going to come flooding in. And it takes a lot of work, a lot of time to actually become known and to start getting consistent clients and things like that. It's taken me until now, like this, this January this year, I finally consistently, like weekly, been getting multiple clients. And so that's a miles, major milestone for me. And I mean, it really inspires me to continue like, okay, well, if I got this work and just do a little bit more, you know, I'll be exactly where I need to be, you know, but that's, that's been a journey because yeah, it's not, that's not how it works. You don't just put up your website and your logo and and then everything comes pouring in. People start calling, ringing your phone off the hook for consults, you know? Yeah. I think sometimes when we get the website, the logo, we feel like it's a bat signal and everyone will know where to go. <laughs> It doesn't quite work out that way, but if you stay consistent and steady and seek out um, help, right, from people that have experience with marketing and branding and different things like that, um, and off um, air, you kind of shared a resource, um, building your story brand. So if you want to share a little bit more about that with with our listeners here. Okay, so if you're going to start a website or if you want to start like a social media, I would say not really a following, but if you want to have a social media presence. Mm-hmm. then one of the things that's is taking me a while to actually learn, and I wish I would have known in the beginning, is you have to get clear, consistent messaging. And that that's a process. It's not something that you just throw out there. It's like if you, you could be throwing spaghetti on the wall and it's just, you're just throwing anything out there and just seeing what happens, right? But there's actually a process and a method that you can use to get very clear on your messaging and consistent across your brand. So there's this book that was recommended to me. It's called Building Your Story Brand by Donald Miller. And that book teaches you how to, it, there's a like a website and there's a template where you fill in the blanks and I'll answer all these questions. And it just kind of gives you your messaging. And once you get that messaging, you, you can <coughs> across any platform. You can put it on your website. You can put it in your social media posts. You can put it in your emails. And so once you consistently start using that language, it's going to work out in your beha- on your behalf and in your favor because people, you know how they say like people have to see or hear something so many times yeah. before it registers. Well, if you're consistent on your, your messaging, then people are going to start associating you with certain things, with certain um, verbiage, with certain and related to certain things. So that's, I just feel like that's so beneficial because that's something I only started doing recently. And I was like, wow, why haven't I been doing this all along? It makes so much sense, you know? Yeah, we don't know what we don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm going to link to that book and that information um, in the show notes for those that are curious, like myself. Um, so you mentioned a couple different settings that you've worked in, you mentioned working in a hospital. You, of course, mentioned private practice. So share with us maybe some pros and cons of each setting that you're currently in. So I like that I've done both because I feel like 
I have a well-rounded knowledge base and I feel like I understand the perspective of both. Cause don't you feel like there's kind of this, and sometimes there's sort of like this hospital versus private practice and, and it's kind of like almost like a beef, like yeah, <laughs> that you hear in the community from parents. It's just like, you don't know unless you're there, like how it really works and what's really happening there. So I feel like um, hospital lactation consultants kind of get a bad rap sometimes, but there's so much that you just don't know. You know, there's so much that you don't know. And when you're in that environment, you, you know, you're really just kind of pinned against the wall as far as there's so, you're, it's an uphill battle. There's so much against you. You have so much stacked against you, so much to do, so little time. And so I know that I do a good job and I know that I work really well with my clients and stuff like that and the patients, but it's just, I kind of feel like there's this constant, like you just hear it, you see it online, you hear it everywhere. And you're like, wait a minute. Like I know, like I know for a fact that that's not true, you know, but they don't know because all they know is what they're being told. Of course, you know, when you see the when you see the mom in the community. But so since I've done both, I know what it's like in the hospital. And I know also, if nothing else, that that's a different baby that you see at the first hours and the first day or two than you see in a week or a couple weeks or a month. Right. So then in the private practice, knowing the perspective of knowing, you know, what happened in the hospital and you're just dealing with a whole different baby a week or two later or a month or two later, then it just I don't know. I just feel like it it, it gives me a whole different perspective I like the um, the hospital. I don't really like it as well, just because again, you can't impact their decision. Mm. It's there's too much. There, you think about it, you have a brand new baby. You're overwhelmed with like, I just had a whole baby, and now I'm responsible for everything, for feeding this baby and taking care of it. And I'm really exhausted. So the last thing that you want to hear is is me like in your room, like you know, no you know, the baby's getting enough and, you know, and all of that kind of stuff. Sometimes they're just tired and they want to go to sleep and there's nothing that I could do that can keep them from giving that bottle, you know? Yeah. So, um, but then it's like, we're held responsible that when people supplement in the hospital, but a lot of times because they didn't have any basic knowledge and they're just tired and worn out, they just, they go straight to that bottle. And then you also have the nurses and you have other people that are, they're impacting that decision, you know, tell them that, you know, to give the bottle and stuff. So there's just so much against you. I don't like that setting because I feel like I don't make as much of an impact. Mm. Um, I do it as much as I can. I'll spend as much time, but I can spend hours with the mom and then go home and come back. And the, and the next morning when I come back, the baby's been on bottles all night, you know? So <laughs> so after I spent like all day chasing them, trying to keep them from so many, it's just, it's like, oh my gosh, it's like a thankless job, you know? Yeah. Then in private practice, what I love about it, the pros of it is just that they really want your help because they're they've sought you out most of the time mm -hmm. so you can make much more of an impact it's a calmer environment you have that one-on-one -on -one time with them it's an unlimited amount of one-on-one -on -one time i wouldn't say unlimited because i know you probably have other clients and stuff but right you just have more time to spend with them and to dedicate to just them you're not getting five other calls to do five other things while you're working with them and then um, the con i would just say of private practice is that you, it's a business, you know, you, you have to learn how to run a business. And that's the part that was not my strength. And that I'm learning more and more and more as I go that um, I wish I would have had a background and, and knowledge in it. Also, I think if, if I could have go back, if I could have like initially right away, right when I started gotten like some business coaching, I think that would have been beneficial because I don't know how to run a business and I'm not an organized person either. So now I'm kind of like learning and I'm getting better at it, but I still need to get to a point where I can have like a VA at the very least and maybe like a bookkeeper because I'm not good with the business part of it. 
I'm right there with you. And I'll co-sign that last part that you mentioned with um, wishing to kind of start over with like a business coach or kind of having those things set in place. So that way it's not kind of learning on the job when you really want to just focus on the mom, the parent, the milk and, you know, all those things, but you have to kind of outsource yourself to be able to learn how to do marketing and bookkeeping and taxes and all these different things um, that if you're not in a position excuse me, if you're not in a position to outsource that to another professional, then you have to kind of um, waddle through um, and figure that out on the fly. So I definitely agree with that. Um, Other things I wanted to circle back to in the value that you mentioned was that, you know, we we get as far as speaking of myself as an outpatient lactation consultant, we get um, a telephone game, if you will, right? They can say that this was their experience in the hospital, but we don't kind of get the full picture. And we know that there are different levels of quality of care, whether that IBCLC is in the hospital, in a clinic, outpatient. So not all IBCLCs are going to be um, equal, meaning that there's gonna, there are bad IBCLCs outpatient. <laughs> there are bad IBCLCs um, inpatient and vice versa. So remembering that and really trying to kind of have um, an open mind and just trying to do the best we can in the circumstances that we're in. Because like you mentioned, you're getting pulled in a lot of different directions, working inpatient. Um, You have a parent that's in a very uh, new and vulnerable state as far as their energy, their body is recovering. And then you can pour all of the effort and energy and care into that patient, but eventually you have to leave them. Then there's other people that are there to influence or, you know, maybe they hit their limit and they do need to pivot over and do something that's contradictory to what they um, declare with you that they want it to do. And I saw that a lot working with WIC, right? Because they can be in my office and we're going over, you know, breastfeeding and helping them latch and doing all the things and, you know, they're energized and ready to go. And then I come out to get the next parent and they're across the hall grabbing formula just in case or whatever the case may be, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's absolutely feel deflating. Like I'm pouring yes. to it and it's just, you know. <laughs> so you understand that. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Absolutely. So with that in mind, was there any point, I feel like you're in year seven or eight or so, right? Being a lactation consultant? I guess it's been, I guess nine years now. Gotcha. So with that length of time, was there ever, you referenced it a little bit earlier in the episode, was there ever a point where you felt kind of stalled out in the work where you were just kind of like, I'm not sure which direction is up or what I'm supposed to be doing? Was there ever an occasion that occurred? Mm, yeah, you know, I got some resistance in the workplace and I was feeling very defeated because I knew I knew that I was doing right by the, the patients and I just didn't know why I was getting pushed back from like colleagues and um, management. So there was a time where I just felt so discouraged and I wanted to, I kind of wanted to quit, but I didn't know what, what else to do because there's only one hospital system in my hometown so if you kind of get blackballed you you're going to be out of luck because you're not going to be able i won't be able to work as a nurse or a lactation consultant and even one of the pediatrician's office tried to um bring me on because um they had heard such positive feedback from the patients because all the patients would leave and they would say that i took really good care of them they asked me to work there but they didn't want to give me benefits and i needed them so i couldn't do that and i just felt very stuck very discouraged I didn't know what I was going to do. And I was just up against so much um, pushback. And it was a very, it was kind of became an 
a very toxic environment. And then just so happened, I, was, I just lucked up that my husband's job, my husband's where his, his job kind of shut down. And, but he was offered a position to transfer to a, a company down here, this like a sister company down here in Atlanta. And that was like my way out. You know, I was like, yes. I mean, it was perfect because finally I didn't have to worry about what to do because I couldn't even complain. I couldn't even complain because I was in such a like in toxic environment that had I complained, I would have just gotten retaliation. Mm. I just, I was stuck I, and I was stuck and I didn't know what to do. So luckily that happened and just worked itself out. We moved and everything's been really good since then. Yeah. And that's a really tricky spot to be in to number one, know that you're making such a difference. And that is obvious based on the feedback that clients are sharing about you. But then having office politics and all these different things and having the potential of being, like you referenced, being blackballed, not just from providing lactation care, but as a nurse in the way that you um, create income and not even being able to step away because there's only one healthcare system and the domino or ripple effect that can happen with trying to kind of exit or kind of complain, make a formal complaint, et cetera. Um, so for us, like on the outside where we have all these different options of kind of like hospitals and doctor's offices, and we can kind of bounce around acknowledging that that's a privilege. And so when we just kind of generalize, well, I want to take that and I would do this and you should do that. We have to kind of rein that in because we're not in that seat. And from that vantage point to kind of understand as to why someone may kind of stay in that environment until they have the, the window of opportunity to pivot out of it. Right, exactly. And so what is a fuel or momentum that keeps you going on more challenging days? I think just the big picture and just thinking about the, I want to make my mark on the world and the impact that I want to make, my vision, my dream. And it just keeps me propelling forward because I feel like um, I've grown so much, but like the last couple of years I've like multiplied. So it's just, you know, and I just feel like almost like a, maybe like a butterfly, just like coming out of its cocoon, like, you know, wow, like it's a whole new world, you know? So that just keeps me, it keeps me going. It keeps me excited. And then I have a network of a few, we call you know, each other biz besties where we just kind of like pop ideas off each other and, and just keep each other encouraged and motivated. And, and that's that's necessary too, especially I feel like in private practice because private practice can be so isolating. You have to have some people, you have to have people. And me being an introvert, um, I didn't really think about that. Cause one thing about living down here in Atlanta is I did, you know, just didn't know that many people. And then it was the pandemic and everything. So um, it was just kind of like isolated kind of like on this little island by myself. But once I've started to like network that's been so crucial and so important to me. I've read something that said uh, that women entrepreneurs, um, like the most successful women entrepreneurs are those that surround themselves by other women entrepreneurs. And that I feel like that's so true because if I didn't have that network of those few women who just help keep each other encouraged and motivated and inspired, I don't, I don't feel like I would keep the momentum going that I've had going. Yeah, and I think that's really important. And as a, a fellow introvert as well, it's challenging to kind of take that first step mm -hmm. <laughs> and check the water to see how it's going to be. Because sometimes, you know, it's not a welcoming environment when you're new to an area. But I'm, I'm hoping that um, you felt like that warmth from other Black lactation professionals, especially 
that we want to be able to kind of be a resource. And if we don't have the answer to refer you out to somebody else or just to provide that level of encouragement Mm -hmm. from somebody who understands being inside of it. Mm -hmm. Getting kind of like that push or kind of words of encouragement from people that are on the outside is great, but it doesn't kind of have that same impact. Mm-hmm. people that are walking side by side with doing the work every single day, being a small business owner, newly and not having any background into it. It just really kind of helps to keep you um, elevated and having that momentum. And the other thing I love that you referenced is zooming out to the big picture and keeping that in mind. And then you're starting to see kind of the fruit of all of your energy and efforts that you've been putting in. You talked about things kind of multiplying um, and expanding out. Um, and seeing that come to fruition. So hopefully people that are listening, if you feel like, okay, I'm putting one foot in front of the other, I'm, I'm checking off the list, I'm doing things, but I don't feel like I'm having the same kind of reach or expansion that I'm wanting to, staying consistent is when you start to get that compound interest, if you will, right? Where it starts to kind of um, double over and triple over and what you're able to kind of see as far as like your progression. Yes, exactly. Um, I feel like, and even from a standpoint of just, if you just think about the online aspect, is which is only just a, a, a part of running business, just showing up consistently makes is what makes you start to get that reach and growth. And you don't have to have a million followers either. It's just a matter of showing up consistently and people see you. It's so funny because you think people aren't watching. You don't. You think you don't have a following, but you actually. So many people will tell you that they. Um, they're, they see your content, they're, they're watching, they're listening, that, you know, they like what you're putting out and stuff like that. And so many of my clients will say, well, they found me on Instagram. That's so funny to me because, you know, it's not like I have a large account or anything, but yeah, there's, I mean, it's still making an impact. So it's still worthwhile. Even if you think that, oh, you know, nobody's seeing it, they're seeing it. Even if they don't, they don't have to like or comment or anything, but they're seeing it, you know, and that's, that encourages me to keep going too. Cause it's like, okay, keep showing up because you know, it's working and it has a ripple effect, right? Absolutely. And I think that's such a good point is that even if you're not seeing like in the analytics that, you know, is getting the reach, people are still watching. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it takes a few times, like you referenced earlier, for people to kind of see you. And because of the algorithm and things like that, you may say that, well, I posted two days ago, you know, I, I didn't get any type of traction, but it can take that consistent time for you to be kind of on their um, channel, on their feed to be able to kind of resonate and kind of pinpoint of what you do. And sometimes we assume that the people looking should know what we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but sometimes we have to keep kind of um, knocking them over the head, if you will, to kind of say that this is what I do. This is the value that I bring. This is the type of person that I am yeah. to kind of connect with on that type of level as well. Mm-hmm. And I've been one of those that watches. And I mean, you've been consistent and like your branding and your messaging and, and we're here and we're, we're observing and, and noticing that you are this consistent presence. And uh, uh, the, the, I'm trying to think of the word that comes to mind is, is just, you, we feel that you care and that it's not just kind of like this branding type of funnel system type of thing. Like we can feel like your energy and your authenticity um, and warmth from the screen. So I just wanna make sure that you know that, that we're, we're watching and that's why you're getting that traction to people booking and people reaching out and commenting. Yeah. I'm so glad you said that. That's so like, that's, that's exactly what I really need to hear, you know? And that's nice to hear because sometimes you don't know how it's landing. You don't know how it's coming across. I know how, I know that I'm authentic and I know that I genuinely care and that I want to help people and I want to make an impact and, you know, so many things I want to do. 
but I, you just don't know how that comes across on the other side, you know? So it's good. It's nice to hear that. Absolutely. And so what is a challenge working in the lactation field specifically that you didn't anticipate until you got to the inside of it? Mm, that's a tough one. Let me think about that for a second. I think that I, I would think that I didn't know that as a lactation consultant, that even though you're, you should be a collaborative person, part of the healthcare team, that we get such disrespect. Man. Like um, sometimes I feel like we're not treated like a, um, like a, like we're part of the healthcare team, and we are. And it's funny because I mean, as a nurse, I feel like sometimes you know we don't get the respect mm-hmm. as a nurse that we you know that we earned or whatever. But it's even I feel like it's even worse as a lactation consultant. Like nobody really acknowledges that you know that we're bringing um, a, a lot of knowledge to the table and that there's more to it than than surface level what they think. You know, just those those very basics and that very old school, like few little thing, few little phrases that they throw out about breastfeeding and most of the time they're wrong. You know, (laughs) I said they give us like five things and, you know, some of it's not even current information. So I I just wish that there was more of, I guess, a level of respect there and that we were like consulted with on a regular basis, like a pediatrician would see a mom that's having trouble with breastfeeding and they would refer to us just like they refer to a cardiologist. If you have a heart problem, you know, if you're having a breastfeeding problem, don't just give them some formula and send them home, you know, it refer them out to a lactation consultant. And, um, and, and then also, I guess, I wish that more pediatricians were first and familiar with like tots because that's the part that, that, that throws me that they just, it's so controversial still. And a lot of people aren't getting the care they need because they're getting such conflicting information and they don't know who to believe. So they, you know, most people think doctor, they put them up on this high pedestal, but they don't realize that it actually takes training above and beyond what they learned in medical school for them to actually be well-versed on something like TOTS. Absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. Especially regarding the respect factor. I do not feel that (laughs) even with having the highest level credential as um, you can in lactation, just from our peers in the healthcare field, it's, it, I feel like it very much comes from either their own personal experience that they received or didn't receive mm-hmm. from a lactation consultant, or they don't understand the value mm-hmm. in human milk in and of itself mm-hmm. that be necessary for a professional um, to uh, be needed in order to do it. And if you do need that type of support, it's not worth the effort or the energy, and we're just going to do the quote-unquote um, easier way and simply just providing um, this can of formula, et cetera. Yeah. It's best. It's best. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> but on the flip side of that, what is or what has been a joy um, working in a profession that you did not anticipate until getting into it? I guess I just didn't really know how much of an impact that it really makes. And you can change the trajectory of someone. I mean, you actually impact the trajectory of their life and their motherhood journey. And that's huge. So just like being a part of like their birthing process. I mean, that's fulfilling. I love that. Um, I used to actually want to become a nurse midwife. I still toy around with the idea, but it's just, it's some of the feedback I've got. It's just like, it will literally like bring me to tears. It's like, wow, like you, like you're really making a difference. And my husband has told me before, like, like what you do is really important. Like you're, like you're making a difference in like the world. And I don't know. I just, I, I, I didn't really think of it that deep before, but 
if I really sit down and think about it, it's like, well, like you really are, you're making a difference in the world and you're making a difference in people's lives and you're positive. They're going to remember you and, and you could be the difference between them, you know, never breastfeeding or, or just breastfeeding, you know, for any amount of time, you could be the person that they, that came into their path that changed it all. And sometimes I've, I've, I've seen someone where things maybe didn't go well in the beginning and I got them later on in their journey. Like maybe it was a few months in, maybe they're going to give up and, you know, we were able to nail down what's going on and kind of correct the problem. And then they were able to continue on and breastfeed for a, a long time. And that's impactful. That's just so fulfilling to me to, to know that I am impacted them in that way. Yeah. And I think your husband's absolutely right. And I think from them being on the outside, they see it, but I think because we do it so frequently day in and day out, our heads are down, we're charting, we're researching, trying to get the best resources and referrals out that we don't really kind of see or understand our reach, but Mm -hmm. that if we're able to make an impression and leave them with this positive um, thought when they think of breastfeeding, that in and of itself holds power even if they don't choose to continue to their original goal, et cetera. But if they happen to have a family member or friend that says that they want to breastfeed, their knee-jerk reaction isn't going to be, why would you do that? There's no effort. Why, you know, and start having this negative type of um, tone mm-hmm. when someone says that, right? Because I feel so often, especially in the Black community, that you hear somebody say breastfeeding, and people automatically have this visceral negative reaction at the thought of it. You're so right. right. It's so that goes so deep. You're so right. I dealt with that just not like maybe a week ago. Uh, maybe like a, a young mom. She um, maybe she wasn't that young. She was maybe in her early twenties. But her mother was there to visit, and her mom was like arms folded, like attitude. When I came in there, and she was like, "I just think the baby's not getting enough milk." Like that's that. Like she didn't want to discuss it. She mm-hmm. was just determined. The mom had been exclusively breastfeeding and doing really well. Everything was fine. But her mom had an attitude and she was like, "Like this baby's not getting enough milk. This baby's hungry. And that kind of took me back to the kind of reaction that I got when I tried to breastfeed my oldest. And there, I just wish that we could heal that and correct that and get to the, the root of that. It's just, it's really not good. Absolutely. And so when we're having these experiences with our moms, with our families, and they take away and they can be that example of this positive breastfeeding experience, then when they have grandchildren, if their children choose to have kids, that kind of starts that that path, right? Where it is a ripple effect from generation to generation to kind of return to that being the default option that people kind of don't automatically assume that the person is not even gonna breastfeed so we're not even gonna bring it up. No, I saw my mom do it, I know I was breastfed. Hopefully that's what my son's experience is if he chooses to have kids that, oh yeah, my mom breastfed me for three years, right? That was just a normal thing, right? And normalizing it for the generations that we're able to touch now for that to kind of change down the line, right? So it is that ripple effect that you referenced, absolutely. Yeah, my mom, you know, actually all these years, you know, these years later, she now is so supportive. She's just like, you know, I'm so glad that you, you know, you're able to breastfeed all the boys and that you, that I wish that I would have breastfed you all. And she said she just looks at me feeding them and it just makes her feel good inside and happy. So I'm like, wow, like I've impacted her because it was a totally different uh, response than I got when my oldest was a baby. They were, you know, you would think that I was starving them to death, you know. So I just, I'm happy to see that come full circle. And and like you say, it becomes normalized. And even my teenage son, who watches me now, feed his twin brothers. 
Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's just normal to him. He, I mean, he's a teenager. He's 14. Like, he's not, he doesn't even get embarrassed that I'm like sitting here, you know, like everything all out, you know, because that means two of them, they're just, and they're toddlers now. So they just manhandle me. And he doesn't even bat an eye. It's just so normalized to him. So I think by the time he has children, it's just going to be like, I mean, how else do you feed a baby? Like, of course you're going to breastfeed, you know? <laughs> right, exactly. And I love that you kind of mentioned that your mom kind of came around and, and really kind of shared that. Because sometimes you don't kind of get that validation mm-hmm. in hindsight after they kind of come to terms with kind of realizing, you know, this huge gift that you've given um, your sons. And so it can also be healing for them to be able to observe that because then they may start to think about their own personal experience and realizing and I always point this out when there's a grandmother in the room of somebody that I'm helping that we have, we have a different layer of um, access and support mm-hmm. and now that was not available and afforded to you all 20, 30, 50 years ago. So it's not a comparison of apples to apples because it's different. Yes, that's I do that too. You're so right. Because sometimes there's like a guilt attached to it as well. And it's like you had to say like, you know, we know more then than, and we have more resources available to us way more than you did back then. You know, there was a time when breastfeeding was like, you only did it if you were like a hippie or you were poor. And it was like a status symbol to be able to afford formula, right? So then, you know, we have this whole generation of people that didn't even breastfeed. It was like weird or gross. And then now we've come full circle that we know like all these benefits and health benefits and and our community, especially everything that we're played with, all the things that that it will help as far as a public health issue if we continue to increase our rates. And that's just something that, again, the ripple effect, you know, we're slowly but surely the next generation is going to be a little bit more normal because now more of us are doing it, right? Yeah. So then when next generation rolls around, it's not going to be like, like, why would you do that? Or, you know, anything like that. Yeah, that exposure just in and of itself peaks the question for them to kind of question, is this something that I would want to try? Mm-hmm. Is this something that I want to learn more about? So even just more visual presence, that's one of the pros with social media, um, right? You're seeing it more regularly and also not just seeing it um, being positioned as this painful, terrible, um, you know, thing that you have to suffer through, but you're able to see these joyful images of moms and parents breastfeeding their children. Mm-hmm. And so they can start to kind of insert themselves into that picture. Like maybe this is an option, right? So it's, it's working. <laughs> you know, I have I had an exposure that I just thought of when you're saying that, and it goes all the way, way back to when I was the LPN, like mm-hmm. 2005. And I had a, um, I did a private duty home health at one time for pediatrics. And I remember this woman, she was breastfeeding her newborn and that was my patient. And then she had a toddler. He was like two years old. You know, he's running and jumping and turning flips and he, you know, he's run up to her nurse and I'm like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe that she is nursing this big old child. You know, I was yeah. like, that is crazy. Like I couldn't believe it. I was just shocked. You know, I didn't have any children by at that time. Mm-hmm. I can't believe this. This is crazy. Like, what, what, why would you do this? And I remember just like being like almost mortified about it. And then full circle, mm-hmm. like end up, you know, nursing my own children for two years. And then the twins are pushing three years, still nursing. And you just, you know, you just learn, you learn and you expose that, that exposure probably normalized it to me to be able to, uh, to go on and nurse toddlers. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And so with, with all the conversation, I have a couple more questions. And the next one being, what would you tell someone 
who is in this field that is experiencing imposter syndrome, very common, what, what information would you share with us? I would say that everybody deals with it. It doesn't matter if, you know, it could be Michelle Obama. I'm sure that even Michelle Obama has imposter syndrome. Yeah. And I remember reading that even Maya Angelou would think that like every book that she, the next book that she writes is going to be a failure. And, and she was like world renowned, right? So you just have to do it anyway. And you have to know that you're valuable, you're capable, you have something to offer and you have to just do it anyway because you're needed. And if, if it's something that's, been on your heart it's a passion for you it's something that you should pursue and even if it takes you out of your comfort zone that's the only way that you go that's the only way that you go to the next level sometimes just to move yourself out of that comfort zone so do it anyway you just have to you have to do it anyway love that do it anyway yeah and it's something that I feel like people shy away from like confessing to experiencing imposter syndrome but you're right everybody me included Mm -hmm. um experiences, experiences it from time to time And I think sometimes you can kind of see kind of what we put out on social media and just kind of assume that we have it all together. Everything's jamming. Behind the scenes is chaos. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. You're so right. And so for someone who is inspired, because I know I'm already inspired just by listening to your story, what would be a suggestion of someone who's like, maybe I do want to get into this work? How would you kind of share a suggestion for them to get started? Well, you know, we we both know that the Ibelsu website is no help. So I would say I would try to find someone that, that you maybe relate to that's in the field already and, and talk to them. And sometimes they can kind of point you in the right direction. I've done that quite a lot for people. And I'm that's actually something that I want that I'm working on doing now is I want to help aspiring lactation consultants, especially like birth workers who want to get into lactation because I think that sometimes they think it's out of reach or it's too hard or it'll take too long, but it's really not as hard as you think. It's not, as, it doesn't have to be as complicated as you think. And there's, there's ways to kind of make it not take as long as you think it's going to take. Absolutely agree. All right. So we are going to mosey on over into our next segment referred to as the letdown. Um, so we have had stimulating conversations so we're going to pivot over and let the answers flow in a rapid fire series. Are you ready? Okay. All right. The first question is, if you could only name one, who is someone within the profession that has had the greatest impact on your journey? You know, ironically, it would be my mentee, which is Trina Goodwin. She's, um, she's like a certified breastfeeding educator. She's going to be taking the exam soon, the IBCLC exam. And it's funny because I was supposed to be teaching her, but we just formed this awesome like relationship and bond. And she's really inspired me and encouraged me so much. And that's just been such a like beautiful, like relationship that, uh, that we've developed and, and that she just inspired me so much. And actually she has been a big part of the last year of me like stepping into my own and just like not playing small and just stepping out and just doing it and showing up and being consistent and, you know, saying like, okay, stepping out of my own like imposter syndrome of, of like, you know, that I, maybe I'm not good enough or I don't have something to offer. And I'm like, okay, you do. You bring a lot to the table. Like stop, you know, stop playing, stop sleeping on yourself, you know? So that's, she has impacted me tremendously. I love that. I love that. Next question is what is an app or website that has been invaluable on your journey? I think that back in the day, we always 
used Kelly Mom. That was like the that was like the, the original, the old school. That's the original like lactation website. Yeah. Um, right now, I would say now I use those Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine protocols quite a bit. Gotcha. Next question is: Running a business as challenging as you anticipated? It's more challenging. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> Um, so for those that are currently likely testing either now or later this week or down the line, if you could only use one resource to study from for the IBLC exam, what would that be? Mm, I took a crash course. I'm a crammer I'm by nature. So mm -hmm. there was a crash course that I took. It was by Lactation Education Consultants, LEC. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not sure if it's still out there, but that course, it was just a two-day course. And it kind of crams everything in. It's almost like maybe the one week course that you took. Yeah. If you did, you take to become a um, counselor or a specialist or whatnot. But that kind of jammed everything in. And I, I, that was really most of the studying that I did was that two day class. Yeah. And I think it is still available. Um, so if I can locate it, I'll put the that resource link down in the show notes for those that are curious. You know, it's been a long time because I'm old school. Yeah. <laughs> And my last question is, what is one word you would use to describe your journey? Ooh, I would say uh, rich. Rich. I love it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Leslie, thank you so much for joining me. Please share with us how we can stay connected, website, email address, social media handles. How can we connect? So most of the time I hang out on Instagram and I'm at Mother Nurture ATL on there. I'm starting to try to like maybe show up on LinkedIn a little more. So you can find me on there, Leslie Owens. And uh, my website is www.mothernurtureatl.com. And right now I have, I'm kind of starting a waiting list for aspiring IBCLCs and uh, birth workers, like a training specifically for birth workers that will be a stepping stone to become an IBCLC. So if anyone is interested in getting on my wait list, that's something I'm going to be bringing out hopefully within the next couple of months. And you, there's a waiting list on my uh, link in bio and my Instagram. Perfect. I'll definitely put all of those links, especially um, for that wait list specifically down um, in the show notes. So you all can get in line. <laughs> Hey, get ready and get that support from Leslie. And again, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Leveling Up and Lactation podcast. Three ways you can support this show. Follow, subscribe on your favorite podcast player. It takes three seconds. You guys can scroll on up and do that now if you're not following us already. You can share this podcast with your network on social media and newsletters and texts. This may be the pivotal moment that people are needing to give them that push to continue on in this field. And third, you can leave us a review. Please be very candid, be honest, so people get a sense of what the podcast is about, what, if any value, it brought to your life and to your journey. People want to hear that. And then learn more ways to support and read more about all of our past guests at levelingupinlactation.com. Remember, as you work with families or if you're considering joining the field of lactation, it does not matter if your words are evidence-based, if your bedside manner is trash. Let's continue to level up. Until next time.